0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm very happy to introduce you to a very competent panel to discuss uh, 2020 is a market disruption uh, about to happen. Um, and I think that before we start, I would like to introduce the, uh, the panel. We have uh, Mr. Sverre Bjorn Sending from uh, Finley Research. Uh, we have uh, Andreas Hadjepetou uh, from Columbia Ship Management. We have Captain Gary Larson feder from uh, Costa, Christopher Hall from uh, American P&I Club, and Andrew Knox from Total Lubricants. Um, but before I start up the panel, I, uh, I just want to say a few, um, a few words about what is a market disruption. So in the business uh, theory, it's a situation where markets cease to function in a regular manner, which is uh, opposed to a destructive innovation, where the innovation actually creates a new market, displacing established players. So we are not going to talk about new players, we are going to talk about what is happening in the shipping market as such. So I would like to start off with a common uh, question. To the to the panel to start us up <coughs> so what is from your point of view the single most important market disruption impacting the maritime industry in the next couple of years so so start with you
1: <coughs> well uh <laughs> that's a tall order but uh <coughs> now of course i'm in the first January next year um I think that the 2020 is going to be a big mess in the markets, operational-wise, commercial-wise, a big mess. But I don't think it's going to last for very long. I mean, I mean there are solutions, and things will uh, smoothen out as we go by. But periodically, it's going to be very, very challenging.
2: Well, I will have to agree entirely on what, uh, what has just been said, but I would like to put a slightly different flavor in calling it an evolution rather than uh, anything else. I think in, in, we will definitely see in the future cleaner shipping, more transparent, higher connectivity. So, so generally, this is a positive thing which will help all of us rather than, look, I did for a short-term uh, disruption as, as has been said.
3: Yeah, I, I do agree. I think uh, with the, both my my esteemed college, colleagues here, I think basically the IMO sulphur cap that that's coming into place in 2020 is going to have a big impact on the industry. Now, the industry I represent uh, has already done quite a lot in this aspect on our vessels. But another another uh, disruption that we're actually seeing in this region of the world is that we just recently saw a announcement from here in China of the banning of the open-loop scrubbers which as well is going to make it even more difficult uh, for the vessels to operate uh, in accordance with with the regulations here in in this region of the world.
4: As an insurance person from the P&I world, uh, we look at things Uh, more from a risk perspective, and it's clear uh, that there will be an increase, uh, a likely increase in risks with the IMO 2020 coming into effect. Uh, It's unclear at this stage quite how disruptive or how much of an increase in risk there may be. We may see an actual improvement in one category of risk and that there might be some more scrapping of vessels. One of the options of dealing with IMO 2020 is to not trade to get rid of your vessel and that could uh, improve the overall fleet profile, um, which could help with the risk factor. But what we're all watching and worrying about and reading about is the bad side of the risks, the uh, increase of the risk which relates to technical problems, the blending, the incompatibility of fuels, supply, could lead to engine issues. Uh, claims, casualties, more charter party disputes, uh, more bunker uh, disputes Uh, and so on that side we see a larger uh, area of potential risk uh, arising as a result of IMO 2020. And I think as uh, has been hit on earlier today, the the problem is there's uncertainty uh, and insurers uh, don't like uh, uncertainty any more than owners and markets like uncertainty. So, I think that will be uh, the, the, the main uh, risk factor that we see is the IMO 2020.
5: Yes, yes, I, I can only agree. Uh, we're now uh, about six months away from uh, probably one of the biggest changes in the way ships are fueled for, uh, for many years. Um, so, yes, we're at the beginning of that process. Um, I represent the, the lubricant side and there will be clearly there also a knock-on effect as the uh, the sulfur content of the fuel decreases, then uh, the lubricants on the ships will also need to be um, re-looked at and uh, the BN of the cylinder oils, etc., will decrease. So there's a change both in fuels and in the lubricants on the ships.
0: Thank you, and uh, it seems that uh, Seems to be some uh, agreement that uh, the uh, IMO convention uh, is is basically the big the big uh, uh, talk of the town, basically. Uh, and I think that uh, we uh, I think that uh, Dr. Stoffer gave a very good framework of uh, of uh, where, where we are heading. And I think that uh, I I wanted to, to, to continue where we actually stopped now with the, uh, because fuel is, a, is is a key. Uh, going forward. Uh, And uh, I would like to know, is there enough available compliant fuel for those operators who have not actually uh, installed a technological solution?
5: Okay, um, perhaps I can tackle that one. Um, I'm actually from the lubricant side, but um, talking to my colleagues in the marine fuels uh, department of Total, They they will be in a position to supply all their contracted customers with compliant fuel, and what we believe is that the industry will be in a position to provide sufficient compliant fuel to meet the the requirements. There are enough uh, molecules of different hydrocarbons coming out of the worldwide refining industry to make these fuels. It's really more a question of price uh, uh, than availability um, that will, uh, the price will drive the availability, but we believe there will be sufficient uh, fuel. Uh, the cost of this new fuel clear, clearly will be higher than the cost of the existing heavy fuel oil.
3: Yeah, I think to, to comment on that, I think from we have experienced here, uh, we've done some modifications on some of our vessels in order to be able to carry several fuel types. Currently we're carrying three fuel types on our ships, which includes MGO, HFO and uh, VLSFO. Uh, we have been able to source all three fuel types out of Tianjin and Shanghai. The question will be when 2020 comes, if there, when there will be a lot more vessels requiring that form of fuel, if there will be the same availability. Right now, this is quite new, so uh, we still actually had to wait quite a while before the fuel was available in Tianjin. So um, I hope there's gonna be enough fuel, but also, again, back to the, 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 the scrubber band, that's also gonna require even more availability of, uh, of additional fuel sorts as MGO or very low-sulfur fuel oil and eventually ultra-low-sulfur fuel oil.
0: Hello. I would just like to continue a little on the fuel because uh, um, what additional or other options exist for the shipping uh, for the shipping operator? Maybe Andreas, you could say something about that.
2: Well, Per, just just to put it on a very simple basis, as far as each vessel operator is concerned, the Assuming that there is enough availability which uh, everybody believes that there will be for each and every vessel You need to make sure that she's that the ship is prepared for um, For 2020 and and obviously you need to clean your tanks. You need to create the procedures You need a specific risk assessment per ship to make sure that um, the crew and the ship is ready for uh, for the 2020 and of course to do that you need to prepare before it's not just a cut-off date on 2020. We expect that all ships managed by us will be ready by by October this year, and I think this is the same with each and every operator. So, so generally we shouldn't panic that 2020 comes and is a big disaster. Um, we have been changing fuels in ECA zones uh, for many years, so it's not it's not as if this is. Uh, Um, It reminds me partly of the millennium era when the IT people thought that by 2000 you have a a big change and some companies need to uh, close down the office. So it will not be like that. We will continue operating the ship. Now moving into alternative fuels, obviously LNG is the most um, uh, tested and uh, uh, um, environmentally friendly way, which we all know it works. The thing is that the infrastructure is not there yet. So, you are not, so it's not commercially viable to retrofit LNG um, uh, facilities on board the ships uh, from one day to another. However, moving forward into the future, um, as it was mentioned earlier, we have to uh, look in the ways of, of, of bunkering the ships and LNG is expected uh, to become more and more um, commercially viable and this is what has been seen for the future. Of course, there are certain other ways of, uh, of bunkering like biofuels, uh, hydrogen, um, uh, and so on, but these methods need to be tested first before they come into, into the play, as well as um, uh, electric ships and so on.
5: Yes, I think um, from the uh, total side of that, um, we're very much involved in trying to develop uh, LNG bunkering. And uh, there was a, a recent agreement done with uh, CMA, CGM. And that really was to solve a little bit the chicken and egg uh, problem that um, to put in place the infrastructure for LNG bunkering is hugely expensive. So to do that, you need... a. Uh, uh, a customer who's going to take the the product. So the deal with uh, with um, CMA CGM is to is to start that off, and uh, we will be putting in uh, bunker tankers, LNG bunker tankers in Northern Europe, Singapore, and in future in other other ports. So it is starting that that industry, and certainly in total, uh, we believe that uh, that LNG can be uh, a major fuel source for ships in the future. Um, and going back to martin's presentation again it's another step on the way to uh, to the decarbonization it doesn't it doesn't uh, it helps but it's not a solution uh, lng ships are uh, reckoned to produce something like 20% less carbon um, so they're one step on that route they're not the full solution to decarbonizing shipping
0: thank you very much uh, so Andreas, you say that uh, The the shipping industry is is prepared for 2020, but um, uh, and and I said that uh, also installing scrubbers is is, is a solution. Uh, It is maybe uh, a a challenge on on availability for yards and uh, and and and, and producers as such. But uh, for those ship owners that yet have not decided their, their strategy, uh, what kind of options are, are available for them?
1: Well, um, just to follow up on, on, uh, on the future fuel and LMG, um, I think that, I mean, IMO 2020 is serious business, and as I started out saying, it's going to be really messy uh, next year, and I think that my colleagues here have confirmed that, that are uh, many challenges. But going into the future a few years and looking back, uh, I think uh, it's being going to be considered more than a, a nuisance and uh, disruptive or, or, or uh, revolutionising. Um, next week, uh, there's an IMO meeting in the Marine Environmental Protection Committee. And if you've seen the agenda, it's not a single word about sulfur and IMO 2020. It's a done deal, it's behind us. It's the greenhouse gas emission strategy that really counts now. And 40% cuts in basically CO2 emissions in 2030. I mean, if any of you go out and contract a ship today, you haven't even reached the second special survey when that hits. And it's 40% down compared to the emissions in 2008. And I did a quick count the other day, and I think that the world fleet of gas carriers and bulk commodity vessels, com- containing carriers, in 2008 was some 940 million deadweight tons. Today we are pretty close to one and a half billion. So that is going to be an enormous challenge, and um, that is going to change the world dramatically. I think that LNG is part of the solution, but not the optimal solution. I think uh, we have to, to, to go down other avenues to, to find solutions, uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank
0: you. Anybody else that uh, wants to comment on, on the options on the strategy? If not, I, I think that we, um, we can move a little forward with what kind of impact uh, the 2020 sulfur cap has on the industry uh, in other areas. So uh, uh, my question now to to Captain uh, Gary is uh, is, um, uh, that we may see other operational patterns within the industry, such as reduction of the vessel speed, as we mentioned before today, impact on charter rates, et cetera, and what may be a further consequence for such operational scenarios?
3: Well, as, uh, as also Andreas was mentioning, obviously, um, the changeover of the fuel, I don't think it's as simple as saying we've done this in the ECAS before and that therefore it's not a risk. It's clearly a risk uh, doing the changeover, especially with vessels and for- fortunately for us in our industry, we have a lot of engines on our ships. We normally have five, six engines, so when we switch over fuel, if we have a problem with that, we still have a redundancy on our ships vessels with only one main engine switching over fuels with challenges for viscosity of the fuel uh, uh, the, the human error factors there's clearly a risk and this at least if you look at this area and some of the other areas of the world where you need to do this change over the fuel is actually uh, close to the 12- mile boundary which in this area for instance is a very highly trafficked trafficked area, which means if you have a blackout on a vessel in that area, it may have severe consequences for, for the safety of the other ships and that ship in that region. So I think, yes, there are procedures we need to put in place, these procedures. I know the class societies and the flag states are working on, on procedures for doing changeover fuel in the safest possible manner, but still, by doing so, there, there, you are going to increase the risk for sure. Uh, and therefore, uh, we believe that um, this uh, banning of the, the uh, AAQS or, or open-loop scrubbers in port or in, inside ECAS is uh, not probably the right way to go, uh, f- both from an environmental side of it, but also from a safety point of view. Uh, we believe that changeover should be done when you come alongside a pier. You either change when you're alongside to a different fuel type or you switch to, to shore connections which we also have installed on about 50% of our fleet. Do I have any comments on that? Andreas, do you have
0: a viewpoint?
2: Well, there is a tendency generally for people who have uh, installed scrubbers to um, basically overestimate the risks uh, which are there, and this is perhaps for commercial uh, reasons. Um, fr- from our point of view, as an operator or a, a technical manager, we are we are obviously taking the measures needed so that our um, our clients do comply, and um, uh, and this will happen whether uh, whether this is considered high risk or low risk and so on. The ships will comply. Obviously, you need to consider compatibility and so on, but obviously this needs to be controlled as well, and so on. Now, back to your previous question on uh, slow steaming and so on. Obviously, slow steaming is something that will help the ship owners. It will uh, balance a little bit, the uh, well, significantly the supply and demand of ships, and it will be positive for the ship owners, which is something which, again, for commercial reasons, as well is being promoted heavily by certain uh, parties.
1: Thank you.
0: Do you think that um, older vessel will be less attractive under the global sulfur uh, cap regulations and may this lead to an increase in scrapping, uh, which again may lead to renewal of fleet with more innovative solutions and alternatives? Bjorn, uh, do you have, as an, an, an analyst, do you have any viewpoints on that? Uh, that
1: is, um, uh, there are many answers. Um, I would start out saying that uh, I think the most important feature of a ship that any prospective buyers have to look at going forward is the speed consumption curve. Uh, Speed has become and will remain a very dynamic element in the the market going forward. Uh, An old ship versus a modern ship, um, well, we have a very optimistic view on the tank market right now. Uh, would I recommend somebody to go dive in and buy an early 2000 built VLCC? No, because it's totally incompetitive in the market due to the high consumption. If you move on to the bulk market, we see that uh, early 2000 built Japanese bulkers have a very good uh, speed consumption curve and are able to compete in today's market. They're not as good as the eco-designs we see. The big problem are the mid-aged ships built say between 2007, 8, and 2014 before the eco-designs came in. Because they have a huge disadvantage along the entire speed range. And uh, bunkers next year, We've been asked so many times, how much do you think uh, the new bunkers is going to cost? And we say we don't know. Uh, we have seen arguments for, I mean, 80 to 100 to 120 dollars about what we're seeing for high sulfur fuel like today. And we have seen good arguments for 500 dollars. We don't know. So what we've done is that we have simply said, what we do know is that the MGO, uh, HFO spread for the past 10, 15 years has on average been about 246 dollars, so yes. $250 about what we see today. And then, of course, consumption figures becomes extremely important. But there will be a pressure on all the vessels. This is, uh, partly because of this. Uh, we must not forget that we have water-based treatment systems to be installed on a lot of ships. Uh, all ships every now and then had to come in for special survey. So there, there's a bunch of bills piling up in front of ship owners. And Generally speaking, after all those bad years, there's not much money in the industry to cover this. So, yes, I think scrapping will uh, go up, but not necessarily as purely as a function of age.
5: Yes, I I think I would concur with 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 my my colleague there. The um, the new fuels will be more expensive, so clearly that will be one of the uh, key Uh, things that will be taken into account on the decision as to whether you uh, maintain a ship in your fleet. Um, What its fuel efficiency is, the newer ships are are more fuel efficient. So yes, it will be one of the components that will be taken into account. And again, yes, uh, in the terms of the pricing of the marine 0.5% marine fuel, um, the market's still very much in a sort of discovery mode. There isn't enough transactions for it to be clear. Uh, what, the, what where that market will uh, uh, will settle, and that will really only be known in the later half of this uh, of this year
0: Thank you.
2: can I just comment something on that uh, obviously we have our clients have requested from us certain calculations on feeding scrubbers and so on, and I confirm that the average difference which has been Calculated is typically 250 dollars uh, per ton. However, there are those who believe as well that if you look on the pricing in, um, in South America, the difference is perhaps 40 to 50 dollars. So it, it really, we really need to see how the market will adjust itself, where the, the price difference will be at the end.
0: It's uh, clear that uncertainty is, is a word that uh, that goes uh, in here and uh, also it's expected that it has an impact in the whole industry and I would like to ask uh, uh, um, Andrew here is, is, is um, from a kind of a PI and uh, i insurance aspect, uh, how do you evaluate the risks of, 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 of this commercial landscape?
4: Well. Unfortunately, many of us on the insurance side are are waiting to see what happens. Uh, As I outlined in the introduction, you know we we are concerned uh, primarily about the kind of the 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 severity of certain claims. Um, There may be an increase in frequency and severity, but it's of course the big claims uh, that we're worried about. And if there is uh, a, a blending or compatibility issue that leads to an engine problem that leads to a, a grounding. Then we could have the whole range of PNI uh, claims come up, you know, and that could be on a small vessel or a large vessel or a, a VLCC or a passenger ship or or a small feeder vessel. So we we are concerned about that. Um, Having said that historically, from the p i side, uh, we haven 't had a lot of claims arising out of fuel specification problems now this is a different this is a game changer I think we can all see that so it 's a little bit different than what we have to look back on historically but from a historic point of view, uh, there have not been a lot of claims arising out of a fuel spec issue so Cross fingers on that front. Um, you might remember last year, uh, around March uh, 2018, we had some problems that seemed to have emanated around uh, out of Houston that then spread uh, to other places in the world relating to uh, fuel issues, which then did create some, and I'm no uh, engineer or technical person, but it did lead to engine problems, and, and I think that all of us in the whole shipping industry, and particularly in the liability side, were looking at that with some Concern as to what might uh, what that might presage in terms of what happens here with IMO 2020, but uh, You know echoing what was said earlier. It's it's the uncertainty that we are still facing uh, You can look at some headlines and they're talking about Armageddon and a uh and then others say it's going to be another Y2K um, I Don't know and and we don't know but uh, let's um, you know, hope for the best and prepare for the worst.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, quite an interesting uh, aspect, as such. Uh, um, we are in Shanghai, and um, I'm just wondering: Is China introduced the uh, sulphur cap one year before IMO? Um, can we see any consequences uh, from this market? Uh, or is it too 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 uh, too early to say anything of of, of uh, the, the the impact? It's an open question, so I don't know if anybody liked to offer any any opinion.
2: Well, uh, personally, I would say no. It, I don't I don't really see any um, uh, destruction because of that. Uh, it's it's just. Uh, uh, a way, I think, as well for um, the Chinese authorities to adjust themselves and train their uh, inspectors. So I think is, uh, I don't see any major um, uh, differences because of that. Uh,
0: it- to me, it seems that uh, we say, yes, there's a lot of uncertainties, and there are a lot of statements around uh, uh, what might happen. Andreas, uh, you are very clear that, uh, that uh, we, we will be prepared, uh, we will manage this. Uh, Bjorn has, uh, said that, that uh, this is, will, be a, will be a mess, uh, more on a short-term basis kind of a closing uh, comment to, to the panel. Uh, who do you see will be the winner and who will be the loser under the Global Software Cup? You can start uh, with uh, you, Sobjörn. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to na- name any names, but uh, um, what we see, I mean, when I say MS, I mean, I, I think we basically agree that there will be on a global basis sufficient supplies of fuels for the merchant marine or merchant uh, fleet uh, next year. But the problem is that it won't be enough everywhere at all given times and all required qualities. So we could see ships being stranded for short and long time. So market-wise, it's going to be the uh, big challenges. Uh, I mean, technically, we, we have also been given examples of the past one to two years of all the horrors that can happen, Uh, I mean with wax in uh, marine gas oil and uh, incompatibility of fuels etc. But I think that the winners are those that have really prepared, and I'm not going to give some names, but I I have some specific major ship owners that didn't start preparing at Poseidonia last year. Because I mean that this regulation will become effective one day uh, has been known for how long? Ago, since two thousand six, two thousand eight, something like that. And there are prudent shipowners out there that has really read the papers said, hmm, we have to prepare. And there are a handful and I think they will come out as winners because um, they have long ago secured ample supplies of compliant fuel for their own fleet.
2: If the question is commercially, who will be the winner and who is the uh, uh, is loser? I can say that nobody really knows because the market will adjust itself. You can sit in uh, or you can talk to a company that invested in scrubbers and they will say that this is a thing to do and, uh, and the price differential will be enormous, so the investment will be paid off. And then you can talk to the same, to somebody else uh, five minutes later with an equivalent fleet. That they have not invested scrubbers, and they will say that um, they don't believe in scrubbers. They will say that uh, clearly you have uh, you take the uh, the pollution from there and you dump into the sea. So generally, it's this is a commercial. If it's a commercial question, the answer is that nobody knows. Um, if I have to um, uh, to put a bit of a spicy uh, answer, I would say that perhaps the bunker suppliers will profit out of it. <laughs> And perhaps the financiers, because it will perhaps be more expensive to finance uh, the fuel purchasing. But know overall, when it comes to technically managing the ships, I think that the operators that they were well prepared, they have done their plans, the risk assessments, and so on. They will be the winners. I believe the majority of the companies have done have done this. But generally, I would say that the big winner is. Um, will be the future generations. We, even if we like it or not, we're not the cleanest uh, industry and we will have to move forward into the future. It, we will be, um, uh, and that's about it, it will be more environmental friendly shipping and so on. So therefore, I, I see the benefits for the future.
3: Yeah, I'm not going to go into the commercial side of this, but I think from a from a global side of this, and from uh, as Andreas mentioned, our future generations, clear that this hopefully is going to make this place a better, this world a better place to be for the future generations. When it comes to an, from an environmental point of view, and also I think this will also push the shipbuilding industry, the technology industry, to move forward in coming up with even more revolutionary forms of uh, transportations in the future at sea as well. We've already uh, just commissioned one ship that's purely LNG uh, and actually where she is sailing in in Europe, uh, we so far have been able to get the the, the fuel supplies or the, the gas supplies that we need but clearly it also comes with a lot of other challenges when it comes to training, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's not to switch off and switch on. It's, it's, it's a constant ev- evolution. I also think that batteries and, 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 and fuel cells in the future will become more and more uh, common. On, on, a, on a final note, is, uh, there is, you see a lot around the world about shore power, connecting to shore power when you're in port. Obviously, we can't just look at the at the the core that you're plugging in. you need to look where is this electricity come from because if that comes from a coal fired plant, it uh, probably would be better to run hFO in the port than actually uh, plug in so uh, you you kind of need to go all the way down the value chain. but in the end of the day, I think we as a maritime industry we we need to move forward and 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 move forward in an environmental friendly way. so I think this for all of us it, uh, hopefully will Will, will make the industry more environmental friendly and develop the technology for that in the future.
4: When I was a kid I was a Boy Scout and the motto of the Boy Scouts is be prepared. So I will echo Sverre's uh, comments about preparation being very important. Uh, that's of course in the short term preparing for the, the 1 January deadline. Uh, that's 236 days from now, by the way, so there's not much time to, to get prepared, um, but those that are will, will be the, the winners in the short term. Those people, those owners, operators that are talking to their fuel uh, bunker suppliers, uh, their engine makers about compatibility, blending, that kind of thing, the different products out there. Uh, putting together uh, an operation plan, both for the institution, the organization, but also each individual vessel. Uh, These things are going to be important. We don't know quite how even uh, the port authorities are going to be in their enforcement of this, how they're going to react. Some have been doing a good job of letting us know in advance what they will do and others haven't probably said anything. Uh, So this this is one of the unknowns. Uh, but those those owners, those uh, masters and, and ships that go to, to a port and run into a problem that then have a, a, a lot of documents showing what all they've done to, to prevent the problem, to mitigate the problem, to try to get the compliant fuel, all of the things that they've done to be reasonably prepared, to reasonably prevent problems, those people will come out better in the end than those that didn't do anything or did less. Um, there's a, there's a story, uh, the other day I was hiking in uh, Hong Kong and we came across a bear and I was with a friend of mine and I started to tie my shoe. Uh, and he said why are you tying your shoe you should be running and he said i don't have to un- i said i don't have to un- outrun the bear i just have to outrun my friend so you know those ship owners who are better prepared than than the the others will will definitely come out as the as the winners but of course in the in the Final analysis, uh, I fully agree with my uh, co-panelists that the future generations will be the, the, the true beneficiaries of, of the work uh, that's going on right now, so that's, uh, that's obviously a, a big uh, silver lining to this. Okay, um,
5: I think from, from my side, the uh, the environment should be the, the winner from this. Um, if we look at who could be the losers, I think it will be the companies which haven't prepared uh, correctly for the, for the changeover. Um, if you're fitting scrubbers, it's very important to make sure you have secured the high sulfur fuel oil from a reputable supplier, and the same is true, I suspect, for the low sulfur fuel. So you should be preparing with your current supplier. Um, the ships need to be prepared, and each ship needs to have a, a, a changeover plan for both the fuels and the lubricants. Um, so the lubricant shouldn't be forgotten in this, this, this exercise. So I think, yes, the ships and uh, ship owners that prepare well um, will come out running ahead. And those that don't, uh, that's where, where the risk is. Uh, we're still, as you say, six months more away, so there is time to get, get everything right. Uh, but time is, is short. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Summing up this uh, discussion, I think that it fits very well with the framework that uh, Dr. Stopford gave in his uh, uh, keynote speech. And I think that um, um, it seems to me the yes uncertainties, but we are ready, we will handle this. It's a good way forward to basically. make the shipping industry a more cleaner industry in the future terms. Uh, And I think that also what uh, Dr. Stoppferd said in his keynote was that we need to work together because that's where we actually find the solutions. So uh, uh, to my panelists, thank you very much. I think uh, you came with very interesting uh,
4: comment and observation to the market. So thank you very much.